0: Uh, it was the Lord speaking to me, basically saying that if if the the same level of thinking that got me to where I am today is the same level of thinking that will prevent me from getting to where he wants me to be. And so until we can realize that and start to change our thinking and shift the way we're thinking, a lot of times even just our our thoughts are what are preventing us from getting to that next level.
1: Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. This is the show, really, I think the only show that is focused on Christian business owners and entrepreneurs and helping them really form a a theology, a foundation for how their faith and their work come together, and then really using that knowledge and that understanding to go to the next level in their business for the kingdom of God. And today, I am so, so excited to introduce to you my friend and someone who is seriously performing at Um, an incredible level in his businesses and also in his faith mr dan hanford thanks so much for joining us glad
0: to be here alice looking forward to sharing with your audience
1: yeah so before we kind of get into things there's a couple prelim questions i want to just uh i want i want to ask you about first where are you in the world because this is this resonates with me this is special to me so where are you in the country i'm in columbia south carolina let's go so gamecocks right that's right. All right. I just wanted to make sure that we, were, we weren't we were on the different pages there. So, uh, no, no. of course, You're like Gamecock, that's all <laughs> alma mater. So, sir. so go Gamecocks. I'm, I don't know if my audience knows this yet, but I'm from South Carolina. So, Dan and I, uh, we, we got a lot in common there. And then the second thing, what I know about you, or well, at least what we've talked in, in brief, is your love for steakhouses.
0: Yes, yes. I'm a big steak fan, and there's not very many in Colombia that I would recommend, <laughs> but there's definitely some across the country for sure. How many do you think you've been to at this point? Oh, man. there. I mean, I I, I wish I would have started counting years ago,
1: but I mean, there is no telling, but I like a good steak. So like, give me like on the East Coast, if we're in the Southeast, let's go Southeast, Northeast, best in Southeast steakhouses.
0: The best in the southeast that I would say is Del Frisco's. Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse. Wow, where's that? They actually have one in Charlotte. Okay, they have okay. them all over the country. But uh, as far as like steakhouses, I mean, it's and it's interesting because I've kind of evolved and developed over time. Probably as I've become more and more successful, I've been able to afford a nicer steak. <laughs> but I, you know, used to go to Roos Chris and think that was like the right. best steak, and now I'm like, eh, I don't think I'd ever go back to a Roos Chris, you know. But maybe I, maybe I will, but. Um, but, uh, really the Del Frisco's double legal steakhouse, I would say is my number two steakhouse, but number one in the Southeast for sure. In Northeast in the Northeast, there's one in New York city called Del Monaco's. It's right okay. across the street from the stock exchange up there in, uh, in downtown Manhattan. And it is a phenomenal steakhouse.
1: If you're not on a budget, like what would you order when you go to a steakhouse? Just so we know, like if we're just, you know, we're ready to ball out, we just close this big deal. What what now that you've advanced, t- teach us real quick, what do we order and how do we order it?
0: Sure. So the first thing I look for when I go to a steak restaurant is the Wagyu. So and not and it's there has to be Japanese, authentic Japanese Wagyu. So I don't oh. want to see Australian Wagyu American Wagyu it's gotta be Japanese and if you see Australian American it's usually crossbred with a Japanese cow so you always had to look for the Japanese now it is more expensive so you go to you know Del Frisco's you know Delmonico's last time I was there didn't have it they were out of it that the last time I was there but uh, Del Del Frisco's usually has it on their menu and it's usually about 70 to 90 dollars for about three ounces
1: Oh man. Okay. But so you got usually but the way I
0: usually order that is I usually have that as an appetizer. So I have a okay. steak appetizer to my steak dinner.
1: So <laughs> it's next steak it's, level comes, right
0: there. It, it comes in, in really small slices. And so they small really like really thin slices, and they usually have different types of salt that are next to it. You just kind of dip, you know, dip an edge of the steak into the salt and you take a bite of that and it's like butter in your mouth. It just melts. It is the best thing. Now, you can also order it online and it's a lot cheaper. So I have a a subscription to a service through what's called Crowd Cow. So like every month I get a subscription for like a full ribeye of this steak and you can like slice it up and it's just, it's a phenomenal steak too.
1: Always learning something new on the Kingdom Capitalist Show. This is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's really fun. That actually was very educational and uh, I'm going to have to get more serious about my steak game um and we'll definitely have to go together so let's let's get into the show we've, we've been talking all morning it feels like already but I, i'm so excited to to jump into so much here I, i've so i've seriously been looking forward to this phone call for uh, a long time tell our listeners, Sorry it took me so long to schedule it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know i know i know it gave me a lot of time to formulate questions don't worry <laughs> um so tell us a little bit what you're doing currently just so our um just so we can kind of get excited uh, about what we're going to you know be talking about today. What is your business and what are you all really focused on doing? And then maybe a recent accomplishment. Uh, so, so our listeners can get familiar with you. Which business? <laughs> uh, let's talk about the multifamily one. We're going to get into both, but let's talk about passive sure, investing. Sure. So I do, I do
0: have a couple of different businesses that I, that I do have started from scratch, but the one I'm currently focused on, the majority of my efforts right now is a multifamily investment group called passiveinvesting.com and we acquire large multifamily you know, properties and complexes. Now I say large, our our criteria right now is minimum 20 million in acquisition. And so we're looking for larger assets and these larger, growing, stabilized markets so that with when there is some sort of recession or downturn, there is some additional protections and stability. And so over the last you know two years we've acquired a little over 200 million, 220 million in acquisitions. And uh, most recently we have one that we closed in Raleigh, North Carolina, which was our largest one to date. It was a $51.5 million property that we closed uh, in the end of October 2019. So really excited about that acquisition and uh, you know, being able to close that one because it's going to open up some more doors for us to be able to acquire some other properties of like size and even larger ones because of the type of assets those are. They're, we're usually competing with you know large REITs and hedge funds where normally ultra high net worth investors are the ones that can compete with those, but we can bring these types of investments to everyday, you know, investors.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, and just so, um, we're from, you also have other businesses that are, that are in the, you know, seven digits at this point in revenue as well. Correct. I do. I do. And those yeah, are in the so. chiropractic. So there's actually things.
0: two of them. So my background is in chiropractic. Um, I do have a degree there. After I got my biology, uh, degree from the university of South Carolina, I went to a chiropractic college and, I got a degree in chiropractic from Life University in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and then moved my wife. We had just gotten married. Uh, on our my, In my first year of chiropractic college, we got married, and then in my last year of chiropractic college, we had our first child. And Literally, we had the baby in November, and I graduated in December, and then we moved right after my graduation to Columbia, South Carolina, and that was almost 10 years ago now. So um, going on 10 years, my my daughter just turned nine. So we're on our in our 10th year of being in Columbia, South Carolina and started out with, uh, you know, inside of chiropractic actually starting a business in chiropractic called Shop Anatomical, where we sell skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts and all types of plastic anatomical models. And we started that company, I say we because at the time my wife was there with me as well, but um, we started that company because there was a lot of students in the school that were looking for a spine model, but in the bookstore they were selling it for $190. It's actually $189.95. And so I started hearing some people talking about that. So I decided I was gonna go to the bookstore and figure out if I can find this cheaper online. So I went to the bookstore, found the found the manufacturer, found a few distributors online. Found this one distributor that actually now today is my biggest competitor, huh. um, and we you know you know reached out to them and said hey you know we wanted to see if we can get what we can get these for and they were like oh we can sell them to you for sixty five dollars, and so I decided that I was going to sell them for sixty nine ninety five so making around five dollars per spine first week went in front of all those student bodies and basically sold 80 spines cash up front in hand to the the first week. And then I was like, well, I wonder if I could go direct to manufacturer instead of going through a distributor. And so ended up going straight to the manufacturer and they said, well, how many times a year can you do this? And I said, well, we have a new student body every three months, so four times a year I could do this. And they said, well, let's go ahead and put you on our highest top tier discount as a dealer. And you can start to become a dealer for our products, and that opened me up to all of their other products. But I was able to sell that. I actually got that spine for forty two dollars and forty eight cents, and I'll never forget that. So I went from a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollars in profit, um, just by making a quick phone call like that. And got, I mean, it was forty two dollars and forty eight cents that included free shipping. So I had to, like negotiated all that because of the higher because of the large order. And then, of course, two weeks later, sold another 40 spines, and then, you know, the rest is history. But I took my skills of web design, web hosting, networking, that kind of thing, and built out a platform to be able to start selling all of their products online, not just their their spines. And so even today, though, we still sell, you'll be surprised, we sell probably three or 400 of those spines a month, like wow. still. Um, because you built, so, built the
1: brand, you built the traffic, yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. And we, we, I mean, it's funny because my wife always asks me. You know, even when we were, you know, first getting started, she's like, "When are people going to like stop buying these skeletons and these these types of products?" And I'm like, "They don't ever," because yeah. we, we we do or we, we do now work with a lot of like colleges and universities, and they have students every you know semester coming in, learning and touching and handling these models. And every year they get a new budget, and so every couple of years they're switching out a lot of these models. And so there is a lot of residual, but we do have a lot of students and things like that. But That's a a seven-figure-a-year business that I've had for, you know, going on, you know, 11, 12 years now. And it's, uh, it allowed me to be able to start my very first practice in chiropractic Mm. debt-free. And even today, I now have four clinics, and they're all debt-free as well. Um, And the, uh, the, the first clinic that I got started was chiropractic only. And then I realized early on that I was still trading time for dollars because I could only see so many patients during an hour. And so I started hiring on some associate chiropractors to work for me to do some of the, some of that work. And then a couple of years into it, decided that I wanted to start to integrate medicine. So I had to hire some medical doctors and nurse practitioners to work with us to treat some of the patients that just weren't getting the results that we were looking for with chiropractic, which chiropractic is fairly successful. But, you know, there is still that, you know, 10 to 15% of patients that just don't get the relief or the re- the, the results you're looking for and instead of sending them off for surgery or, or you know, pain just pain management the rest of their life, we try to do something to try to avoid those routes to be able to heal their body. And so we, we actually have uh, about four years ago, completely cut out all of the chiropractic and all the rehab and all the stuff we were doing in the office. And so I have all straight medical clinics. Now we don't do Mm -hmm. any chiropractic, but we actually refer out for a lot of chiropractic services. And the reason why I cut it out was because there's a lot of Chiropractors in our town that would not refer to us because we did chiropractic in our office, but we knew that the medicine that we were doing was really beneficial for these patients to help them avoid that surgical route and that pain medicine route. And so, and it's because the the type of medicine that we practice in our clinics is regenerative medicine. So we do a lot of PRP, prolotherapy, stem cell therapy, a lot of different advanced protocols to help people with different types of orthopedic conditions, uh, most mostly arthritic or sports-related injuries. And so. We started to cut out the chiropractic services, and then I wanted to also scale from just one clinic to multiple clinics. And so we had a, a goal of scaling from one to four in you know five or and in, in, in twenty four months, and we ended up doing that in eighteen months. And so we grew from one to four, and we still have those four today. And about two years ago, I started to uh, get to the point where I was getting a little frustrated because I was, you know, definitely, you know, spinning off a lot of money and a lot of cash from these properties. I mean, from these not properties, but from these clinics. But I was also paying a lot of it back to the government, right? So I was writing a lot of these six-figure checks to the government that I was tired of doing. And so
1: six-figure checks to the government. Just want everybody to realize if you think you got a tax problem, (laughs) right? My (laughs) man is writing, writing, writing. The government six figures. All right, keep going.
0: Yeah, and these are quarterly checks. So, oh my I mean, goodness!
1: All right, we're yeah, talking another level here. I love it. Yeah. Keep going. So this
0: and so it was getting frustrated because you're like you're you I mean, those of you who are listening who have paid any taxes, I mean, it's frustrating when you when you work your rear end off and then get to the point of having to pay a lot of it back. And it's like, what can I do? I mean, like you look at somebody like Trump. You know, love him or hate him, he's he's a phenomenal businessman and he knows how to keep his money right. Right. And so one of the things that he does is he invests in real estate. And that's one of the best ways to be able to, you know, keep a lot of the money that you make is to invest in real estate. And so I actually, two years ago, decided to just completely quit what I was, not quit completely, but really put my COO in charge of the business and to take it over. And so he's now the CEO and I'm still the president. So I kind of p- still play the Warren Buffett role, if you will. And so I still, you know, have a corporate meeting with, it, with my corporate team once a month and then also have uh, financial reports that come to my email once a week as well to make sure I still have that 30,000 foot view on things. And if we need to make some you know, higher level decisions or pivot or change, we can do that. Um, But he's been running everything for the last two years, and it's actually business has actually gone up, so it's actually been good. Um, and so business has gone up, and then I've also started the real estate side of things to be able to hold on to some of my my money. And uh, last year paid very little in taxes, and this year we'll hopefully pay zero, so it'll be pretty exciting to be able to to do that to kind of see you know income going up, but actually taxes going way down.
1: So you went from writing sixty six you know figure checks quarterly to to practically being able to pay zero correct um, so we still of, have to write of of still write estate. those
0: quarterly checks because of our history but we get to get the money back at the end of the year right. so yeah that's fine.
1: we're going to yeah. get into that i, I don't want to jump into that yet but i do want to ask you about that i was actually i'm glad you mentioned that because i wrote that down to talk to you about because i know that's a little bit of your story yeah. um that you got into real estate because you needed to figure out ways to save money on your, your other businesses, which I think for a lot of our listeners, that's going to be a light bulb. Like, Oh wow. how, How do you do that? So, um, I'll make sure they, they have, you know, both our contact information to, to ask those questions at the end of the show. Um, but uh, let me do this real quick. We got going, but I always like to I always ask if I can pray for us in our time and ask God to really use this because I want to kind of get into your story a little bit and, and I think it's going to be big for our listeners. So if you wouldn't mind, let me just pray. Um, pray for sure. us real quick. Sure. Father in heaven. Thank you so much for this for this time together with Dan, and I just pray that you might use this time to uh, encourage, equip, and inspire uh, everyone who is kind of under our voice um, and. For the purpose uh, of Christ being magnified, of Christ being glorified, and His kingdom coming on earth as is in heaven through our businesses and money making endeavors, Lord. Um, and so I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let's let's talk about your story as it pertains to your faith. And I just would love to hear, like, when, when did that start for you? Um, let's just start there. When did that begin to? When is your relationship with Christ? begin?
0: So it happened uh, earlier on in my, in my life. So it was, and it's kind of a, kind of a twofold. So, you know, I'm one of those types that grew up in a Christian home and grew up with Christian parents. Both my parents um, were Christians, you know, before they had me. Um, they, they didn't grow up their entire life as Christians, but uh, at least my mom, I don't believe did. But uh, they, they I, I grew up in a Christian home. And when I was five years old, five or six years old, um, that's when I you know, first got saved. I don't say first. That's when I was saved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, later on in my years and, you know, in, in high school and things like that kind of falling away a little bit you know, and then, of course, rededicated my life, you know, and, and when I was a, a younger or an earlier or, or older teen, if you will, yeah. uh, 18, 19. And, uh, and from there, I mean, a- every decision that, you know, I make is is balanced with a Christian worldview. And I think that it's it's it sometimes can be challenging and hard hard, especially when you're competing in a world that doesn't have those same views. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, you know, when we, when we kind of, when we continue to stick to those type of, of values and those type of uh, decisions that, you know, in the, in the short term, we might feel like we're not, you know, going to be able to make the kind of money that we see other people making because there are certain decisions that they make. And I don't have exactly, you know, an, a, a, an example for you, but there are, I can, I can just, you know, I, I know over the last, you know, 10, 15 years as I've continued to build what what I've been able to build, um, that the Lord has continued to bless it because we have done it the way He would have done it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've I've seen some other people that have, you know, done things in our space that not necessarily in multifamily, but in, in just, you know, the business realm in general that... Uh, you know, they, they seem to have it all put together and seem to have the success and they're, they're you know, you kind of look at things sometimes and you, you realize that they're not necessarily doing things the way that things should be done, but they're doing it to make the quick buck. Right. And they might make some quick bucks, but at the end of the day, they either, you know, uh, you know, somehow there is some form of a downfall or whatever, and it might not be something that's visual or anything like that. But I feel like, you know, we, if, if, if I was to make money as if the world would be making money, I would be a whole lot farther along than I am today, mm-hmm. but I don't regret that. And I feel like the Lord has continued to bless my wife and I and our, our kids. I mean, I have, we have four children as well. And I, we, I, didn't mention that, but I got four young children. So I got a, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So we got a pretty busy life as well, huh. um, raising those children as well as the various businesses that we have.
1: Let let me ask you this. Let me interrupt you real quick and ask you, because there's a lot of young folks listening to this show. Why does, why is you use that term quick buck, making a quick buck or kind of, and as you grow a business, why is that against the the value of a kingdom capitalist, which is what Mm -hmm. you are? Well, why, why does the quick buck kind of go against your identity as a kingdom capitalist? Well, I mean, I I, I don't
0: want to necessarily put a blanket statement on like all quick bucks are are bad. I mean, I give you an example. I mean, my daughter this past weekend, instead of selling lemonade out outside, you know, she wanted to sell you know uh, bath salts. So she wanted to put together bath salts. No and kidding. Like, I'm dead serious. And <laughs> Love you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here saying, you know, it it's a quick buck, right? I mean, she's going out there just making right. a quick buck, but. You know, so you know. Of course, I sat down with her, had a long conversation about, you know, all right, well, how, we got to figure out how much this is going to cost because you can't just like, you know, throw out a number and what you're going to sell it for. So we sat down and actually had this conversation and had her pull out the calculator and we're figuring out how much the salts were. And how old is she? Like, how she is. She's nine.
1: That's, that's, that's good parenting. I love that. That's yeah.
0: Amazing. So, and at the end of the day, you know, she realized, all right, each one of these bags cost me 75 cents. And then I'm like, well, how much, how much time did it take you to make it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you got to you know, figure out how much your time is worth and various things like that. But I, I feel like, uh, you know, there are obviously certain things when it comes to QuickBucks that, uh, they, they, It sometimes can be more of taking advantage of somebody more than it is just, you know, an innocent, you know, selling at the flea market or something like that. But I always, whenever I'm putting together a project or a business, I want to make sure that there is some form of long-term nature for it. So I want to make sure that it's something that can continue. And so it's worth the time that we're spent because I feel like, you know, we are put on this earth and the, the, our, 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 most precious commodity that everybody has is time, and we can never get it back, you know. And so we, I, I can make more money, you know. I, I can't make more time. And right. so we only have a certain amount of time on this earth, and you know, there, God has gifted each one of us with various skills, and we we should be using those skills to to the benefit of you know what He has put us on this earth for, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel. Know that if you're just trying to go out there and make a quick buck, that's to me. I know for me is not what God created me for, and what, yeah. what He put me on this earth for, and so that's that's the balance you always have to have. And you know, obviously, you know, when I stepped out two years ago from my clinics, I didn't know for sure that I was going to be in real estate. I stepped out in full faith, saying, "You Lord, I don't I don't know what I want, what you want me to do, but I feel like you're moving me in a different direction." And because my passion for that has has now kind of subsided, I still want to keep those clinics and still keep those for for you know for for you know cash flow purposes, if you will, because they're a debt-free clinic and they're, you know, cash flowing and, you know, but I l- sat down and listed out like 15 to 20 different opportunities that were just right in front of me that I could do. And I went through every single one of them and, and there were several of them that I could do. and I can make a quick buck, right? But there weren't, they weren't to a point where I knew would be, you know, lo- worth the amount of time and energy and effort that I would be putting into it based on my skill set that and the gifts that God had given me.
1: And I love that too. Like it's the idea of having a um, kind of the long term view versus the short term view in this, where the quick buck is just kind of focused on I just, I got to survive. I got to kind of, you know, make the quick buck. Cause be, instead of asking Lord, what is it that, like, how do you really want to use my life? Right. And not just how do I kind of fill my wallet? And, um, you know, there are times when we need to make the quick buck, right. Or we sure. got an entrepreneurial idea. But I, I, I love that you kind of talked about the short term. Versus the long term there when, when was it for you Or was it early Or, or is it, this still happening Where I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to ask Is the, the, that connection between Your faith in Christ And your realizing Hey I'm built or I'm made To build businesses I mean clearly that's how you're wired Clearly mm-hmm. God has given you a gift When did that realization happen for you That hey the best way I can really serve the kingdom Is by building businesses
0: That's a good, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever really had that realization. I mean, I, I feel like it's, um, I, I feel like, I mean, and I, and I, and I, you know, from an outsider looking in, I, I feel like, you know, that, that, that is definitely a gift that God has given me, but I feel like it's, it's bigger and better and greater than that. You know, it's, it's, you know, and, and it's hard because, you know, I look at what I do and go, I don't, I don't do enough. Like, I, I don't feel like I do enough. I don't feel like I, you know, have, you know, <laughs> I don't necessarily I don't think I don't have enough because that's not what I, why I do what I do. Like I could literally stop what I'm doing and be fine. Um, but I don't feel like the Lord put me in this position to stop, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where when I decided to move out from doing the clinics to the real estate side of things, I had a kind of an epiphany, if you will, or, or uh, uh, it was the Lord speaking to me basically saying that if, if the, the same level of thinking that got me to where I am today is the same level of thinking that will prevent me from getting to where he wants me to be. And so until we can realize that and start to change our thinking and shift what way we're thinking, a lot of times, even just our, our thoughts are what are preventing us from getting to that next level. And, you know, I, I, there's a, I have a mentor of mine and, you know, again, love him or hate him. He's not like a, a mentor that I've actually had phone calls with, but I've read a few of his books. It's Grant Cardone. Um, and obviously I don't know, you know, his, you know, religious state or anything like that. I know there's a few things that I know about him that I'm not very happy with, with stuff, but, uh, anyway, so, but but one of the things that he talks about is, is this whole concept of, you know, the 10 X rule. And that's one of the names of his names of his books is the 10 X rule. And one of the things that I like about it is that he, he gets you to start thinking about things that are bigger and better and greater than where you are right now. And when you start to think about 10Xing your business or 10Xing your life or 10Xing your relationship with your wife or 10Xing your relationship with Christ, you start to come up with questions that you never had before. So for example, in the business sector, if you're trying to grow your business from a $5 million a year business to a $50 million a year business, and let's say you have, you know, a friend not even a franchise. Let's say you just have a single, you know, shop where you're selling, you know, uh, you know, mattresses, if you will. Right. And I don't have one of those, but just to give you an example, because those places are everywhere. Right. Um, the mattresses. And th- when you start to have that conversation with yourself about how do I get to 50 million? You start to have to bring in more people into your fold and answer a lot more questions than you would have if you just continue to say, let's just stay at 5 million or let's just go to 6 million. Because you know, you don't have a lot of extra questions to get to 6 million, maybe a few. But when you say, I want to get to 50 million, now you're talking about bringing in a franchisee, or, you know, franchisees and, you know, going multi state and, you know, international. And so you're, you're talking about, a lot more questions that started to come up but you can never answer those questions until you until you start to put yourself in the mindset of getting to that point of getting to that 50 million dollar mark mm. and so for me going in from the what i had been doing to the multifamily, i had never bought anything other than my single family home so i i didn't like have like these you know you know, decades of experience acquiring properties. But what I did was it started to, I started to have to have questions of, well, how do I acquire, you know, a $10 million property if I've never bought one before? Like what, 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 what would, what would make an investor want to invest with me, right? If I had never acquired a property before? Well, number one, when you start to go above 10 million, you know, you're starting to buy properties that are institutional quality and you're basically buying a business. Right. You're buying a business that you need to have somebody in there that knows how to, you know, manage people. They know how to put in systems of procedures and processes in place. And so I had a lot of transferable skills from that piece of it. And so, there, again, just to kind of go back to what I was saying, it's a lot of it has to do with just your mindset and be able to answer more questions or, or ask yourself more questions by, by thinking bigger.
1: Yeah, there's a quote I have on the front of my phone that uh, really lines up with what you're saying um, that I try and read pretty much every day at this point. And it says to achieve what you've never thought about, you know, achieving before you have to start thinking thoughts that you never thought before, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's so true is that, that for most of us, we have the same, and and I'm pretty sure I've heard this from a a psychologist before. We all have about 97% of the same thoughts every day, right? So 97% of our day is filled with the same exact thoughts from the day before. And so if you want to accomplish anything new or anything great in life, you have to figure out how do I take that 97, you know, and decrease that by to, you know, even if it was just two or 3% to start thinking something new and start dreaming about something new. And so thanks for sharing that. I hope this podcast show is really um, helping people do that um, because l- let's talk about the idea of even why to go big, like why to scale, why to accomplish. I mean, from a kingdom standpoint, I just would love to hear Dan for you. Like what, what have you and your businesses been able to do impact wise or how do you, how is God using you and your business, um, and the revenue that that creates or just even the business itself to really bless your city, bless your family. Just, just would love to kind of create a vision for for our listeners and what, how God is using you. Sure.
0: Sure. So, um, there is a couple of things that are happening actually right now. So, um, one of the things that I've always, you know, been a proponent of is, is obviously, you know, participating in a lot of activities in our in our church and the ministries that they have. One of the ministries that they have is a is a Christian school, which is a Christian private school, and, and our kids go to that Christians private school, the two older ones right now, the two younger ones, the three and the one-year-old, aren't there yet, but they will eventually be there. And one of the things that I've always been frustrated with is the fact that a lot of people are, are that that are, that are like, go to these Christian schools, um, and, are, and are part of the Christian school system, have a limiting mindset, and so and you and you see that a lot in in the tuitions, and I'm not saying that the tuitions need to be you know extremely high, but they need to be higher than they are right now in a lot of these 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 smaller schools. And I've talked to some of these administrators and these you know, educators and, you know, even my father-in-law is actually the executive director for one of the largest Christian education uh, accrediting bodies in South Carolina and part of the national organization. He is as well. And, you know, I was sitting in church one day and, and you know, one, well, before I go to that story, one of the things that I always hear is, is that they have a hard time wanting to raise tuition because they're afraid they're going to lose students and push people out. And so they're, they're just afraid to, to raise that tuition. But you see a lot of teachers that aren't really being compensated, you know, in a, in a, in a, you know as know as, as well as they should be. And so coming from my wife's side of the family, who's, who has a, you know, multi-generational line of, you know, teachers and educators in the private Christian school sector, I was sitting in church one day, this literally happened about two months ago, and I, uh, I, I actually about probably more like three months ago now, and the, and and one of the things that you know the Lord laid on my heart was what if you could figure out a way for these, uh, for these these schools to start to invest in some of the real estate that you're doing to be able to grow the kingdom, right? To be able to grow Christian education as a whole, and one of the things that you know I thought of is is obviously to be an accredited investor as an individual there's 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 smaller criteria so it's usually you know a million dollars of net worth not including the primary residence or you have to have at least you know 000 of annual income for the last 2 years if you're single 300,000 if you're married and you expect that to continue that would be an accredited investor for an individual but do you Ellis know what the accredited investor statute is for a 501c3
1: uh s- s- 5 million something I, I remember
0: seeing something about 5 million dollars you're correct so you have to have at least 5 million in assets in order to be an accredited 501c3 okay so i was i, I thought to myself a lot of these smaller schools don't have the ability to have that kind of you know you know, you know you know even though our school actually when i went to look at it actually had probably about 15 to 20 million because they have properties that are all paid off and there's no notes on it or anything like that so they have the assets but they don't have the money to be able to invest in these types of properties and a lot of times schools christian schools are looking for that quick buck and you see that because you see them doing Fall festivals, and you see right. them doing these various candy drives and different fundraisers, which are short term events to infuse capital for a particular purpose. And that's short term. And so, what I decided to do is, is I of course talked to my father in law, who's the executive director for the South Carolina Association of Christian Schools. And I said, What if we were to create our own 501c3 that was pretty much like a foundation where the principle of the money that was donated was never spent, but there were scholarships that were given to these organizations to be able to fund some of these educational uh, um, 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 you know, gaps, if you will. And when I say gaps, this purpose of this foundation, I didn't want to be like a full scholarship ride type organization. I wanted it to be a gap fund, meaning that if they raise their tuition from 5,000 to 6,000 and, you know, ten percent of their students couldn't afford it. Then those people could apply and get access to that difference between what they were paying and what the increase was, so that there's no fear of them losing students. And same thing if they had a new student that came in and they could only afford three thousand, but the tuition was six thousand. There's still that gap fund of three thousand. So always wanting to have you know that that the, right, the parents sure. to have some form of skin in the game, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I ran the idea by him. And he's like, you know, I had the same idea probably about five years ago or so but never really had the ability to kind of move forward with it and so i immediately decided to let's do it so like literally that that afternoon sunday afternoon i said let's do it and right now we're on a path we've already filed for 501c3 status we've already gotten a lot of this stuff underway and we're in the process of building the website and you know the whole foundation is being built out right now and our goal in 2020 is actually to build it up to five million dollars, so that we can actually start to invest in multifamily. And if we can start to do that, it can continue to grow the uh, the, the the foundation even bigger. And it allows it to me to now have a legacy for even when I pass away to be able to continue to affect the kingdom for for multiple generations.
1: <laughs> this that's amazing. I mean, folks, that's kingdom impact and that's using your business and your money-making abilities to legitimately fund kingdom work and to leave a legacy that will go and i mean think i and most some people aren't in real estate but i just think with me for a minute what are things in your business right now that you are doing that you're good at that create revenue that you have a certain niche in that you could use to really fund and build and do amazing things for the kingdom of God I just think that's an incredible example. I have a quick question on the five million goal what are you raising the money to get to five million so that you can invest that in back into the multifamily projects and then all of that goes to how, how do, where does that five million come from again? Sure. So
0: there's two different ways it comes from. So there's been, there's people that just want to, and not invest, but they want to donate money to the organization, um, to the 501c3. And then that would be put into a general fund and the monies from that would be dispersed to uh, schools that apply for it. And then there are also things that we're putting in place where we are hiring a team now to actually go out to these various schools and then, you know, uh, obviously sell the idea, if you will, to the administrators of those schools and then help them put on, you know, yearly or annual banquets to be able to have people in their community invited to these banquets to tell them about this particular foundation. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and we're trying to create it so that it's it's, it's really their foundation that we are just helping them being able to invest it because some schools might. Only be able to you know bring in a hundred thousand, or some mm-hmm. of might only be able to bring in fifty thousand, or twenty five thousand, or whatever it is. But because we're pooling the resources of all these schools together, we can invest it and allow those those, those distributions to be able to given to be given out to investors, not to investors, but to uh the, the various schools for those tuition.
1: Do you think you could build a model solely around this? I just, think so. Just around creating these nonprofit, like to help nonprofit organizations build build legacy funds, essentially. Well.
0: I think that, that it's very, very possible. And one of the other, there are other um, kind of outshoots of this is to come along along certain organizations that didn't know that they could to actually start doing it. Yeah. So, for example, like the school, my, my, the school that my kids go to, it's a it's a it's a nice complex. It's it's a 50, it got a fifteen million dollar property. Obviously, it's associated with the church as well. So there's kind of combined assets, but they already have five million dollars in assets. Right. So we could actually come alongside them, and they could actually just start this all on their own. And we just teach them and educate them and let them you know learn how to do it. Um, And so I I think the biggest thing that they don't realize is that aspect of it. And I'm going to probably get some flack for saying this, but I also feel like having a property paid off like that is not the best use of Christ's funds because that's just dead equity sitting inside of an asset where if they were able to actually take that out and leverage, not the full property, but even if they just leveraged 5 million of that property or 2 million of that property, you know, and being able to invest it like an institutional investor, it could actually grow and allow it to be expanded more than they would ever imagine. But the problem is, is getting, especially in my circles, getting them to actually think about not paying off a mortgage that quickly and actually using that uh, to actually grow the kingdom. And so that's, that's of course a whole nother educational battle to try to get into. And And,
1: and, and I, but I think that's so good. And we're so, this is so good. Can we go another hour? I can't, I gotta go on the, I gotta go on a flight, (laughs) but no, the Dave Ramsey model of no debt and what, and that's like, that's all for some reason has been placed as like the Christian model. Listen, and I think it's so important. I want to make sure this point is really clear because what you said is so key. Do you know who Dave Ramsey works with and who he's helping, which he's helped thousands and thousands of people love his ministry, but he helps broke people, people who are in serious debt, people who don't know how to use credit and, and how to use debt properly. So we that doesn't mean that everybody should take that model and apply it to their life or their business because what you're saying is – why not leverage that equity? That if it's if you just have equity sitting, and it's not doing anything. Then it's not worth anything, right? And, well, and and, and, and
0: you know, of course, people would say, well, you know, we want to try to pay off the mortgage as fast as possible because you know the Bible talks about you know owing no, nothing to nobody, you know, or anybody, mm-hmm. right? And the problem with that is, so if you thought that that was wrong in the beginning, you did something wrong for a short period of time, mm-hmm. and then it's okay as long as you pay it off. That's not true. There's nothing wrong with debt, you know, as long as it's being done properly, you know, um, and, and the difference, I think, is is if you were just taking on unsecured debt that right. you, know, you were using for, for, for flippant purposes, but you're taking on this additional debt and leverage on a property that you could sell the property and you can actually repay it if you needed to.
1: And you're taking out debt not just to take out debt. You're taking out debt to create more revenue, to create right. legacy wealth. That's the whole exactly. point. It's not just taking yep. out debt. You're, you're building a legacy with that debt.
0: And I see so many properties that are, you know, Christian properties that have no leverage on them at all, but have, they have so much deferred maintenance. And it's because they have not continued to leverage that property. But if they actually leverage that property and continue to maintain their property, it would look so much nicer and represent Christ a whole lot more. But again, it's a, it's a, it's a large, it's, it's an uphill battle to have that conversation with people. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a conversation that I think should be had. Wow.
1: Um, mercy. All right, that that's a huge. That we have got to just stay in touch on that, Dan, because I think that's something that I I'm really passionate about. I love that idea, and I, um, I'm glad that you're going ahead of me so that you can spend all the expensive amounts of money that you need to spend so that I can you know, and create a blueprint for me because I I, I think that's really powerful idea i'd like to be a part of that if there's anybody listening more board
0: members so maybe you're that next board let's member go
1: here. man seriously i I'm, i would go really right. like to be a part of that and figure out how we can really scale that to help a lot of organizations because we both believe in the power of multifamily we see it as an incredible asset for the next several decades and so I, i'd love to be as, as much as our community can be a part of that. That would be awesome. Um, all right. We only have a couple minutes left, but there's one thing I want to ask you before we get out of here. Cause I think it'll be really helpful. You have raised, you just said you closed on a $51 million property in Raleigh, North Carolina. that was just a couple months ago. I don't know if you said this, but I, I know, I know this to be true that you raised $14 million in two weeks. Yeah. Pretty insane. And you have only been in this real estate space. You said you just got started a little over two years ago. And so before this call, you said that the majority of your network that have invested with you up to this point did were not people that you knew before you got into real estate. And so just for the next five minutes before we have to get out of here, I, I would like to ask you about how do you really build a $14 million network, right? Like what have you done and how are you going out to build a $14 million network or plus that because you've raised more than that, but you did that in two weeks, Can you speak to that and how we might, you know, get serious about building our network so that we can, you know, we can do something like that?
0: Sure. So I had had an investor call just last week and, you know, it was actually an investor that, you know, wants to invest with us, but he also wants to also kind of create his own group eventually. And it was just kind of picking my brain very similarly. And one of the questions that he asked was, which is similar to this, not exactly, but he asked me, he said, What's the one thing that you do that you can attract, that you attract the most investors with? And I told him, I said, well, I said, that's actually, you're probably not going to like my answer, but I'm going to give you my answer. And I said, but I don't have one thing that I do that just attracts me with a bunch of people. And I told him about a story. I actually took a trip about 10 years ago to Sanibel Island, Florida. If you've never been down, down there, it's it's right off the off the coast of uh, Fort Myers. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to visit. Um, and we, my wife and I, took about ten years ago a trip, and we only had one child at that time. We took a trip to Sanibel Island, Florida. Actually, we had two. My son was with us at that time. Um, Who we went down to Sanibel Island, Florida, for a you know ten day vacation just to kind of get away and relax. And we rented a condo that was literally you could you could literally jump off the balcony into the bay like it was that close like yeah. it was it was so close there was no beach that that area it was just like jump right in if you wanted to well, of course we never did obviously but I'm um, just trying to paint the picture and the scene for you and one of the things that we saw every single morning because we would get up we like to have coffee in the morning we'll sit down and, and and my wife will sometimes read a book or you know read the scriptures or whatever and you know we'll we'll kind of you know talk back and forth and we'll you know you know drink some coffee and we were doing that on vacation and this little trip and every morning we would see this gentleman walk by and he would go put his fishing rod out and he'd he'd throw his fishing rod out there wouldn't catch anything he'd go to another spot very similar but you know throw it out there, didn't catch anything, go to another spot, didn't catch anything. And he was getting frustrated. And all of a sudden there's this guy that came out behind him and he's got this like wheelbarrow, right? He's got a wheelbarrow behind him and he's pulling this thing and he's like walking, like he knows what he's doing. He's got like, he's very confident and he's got like five or six different fishing rods. Like he had the whole, all the gear and everything. His wife was walking behind him with his, with her face in the book reading. And so they come, they come up right in front of us. And so in front of our balcony and they set their little, you know, fishing rod up with the bait and the tackle and the, you know, wheelbarrow or whatever. And his wife goes and sits on the bench right next to it, just to kind of, you know, be with him and, and, you know, read her book. Well, he starts to put out these various fishing rods and I'm thinking to myself, Good luck, right? This guy's already been fishing for the last couple of hours, hasn't right. caught anything. He put up all the fishing rods. By the time he got like the sixth or seventh one up, one of them starts to bite. He goes running over to that one and he starts reeling the fish in. And then another one starts to bite and he goes and run over there, reeling that fish in. And then, of course, he's like freaking out because there's like three or four of them going. So he, <laughs> he, he recruits his wife to come in and start to help him. And I sat back and just watched this whole scene. And of course it's, we're close enough to him that we're bantering back and forth with the guy. And so it was kind of, kind of comical a little bit, but I sat back and I was like, you know, that is exactly my approach to marketing Mm. and how I reach so many people is that there is never just one thing that I do. It's a multimodal approach. And so for what we do as passiveinvesting.com to reach people, is I have a group called the Multifamily Investor Nation, and in that group, we have over 20,000 investors now that we've cultivated over the last, you know, 12 to 24 months, and it has grown to a point where my, I have, you know, a YouTube channel that's exclusive for it. I have a podcast that's exclusive for multifamily. I have speaking engagements that I'm now getting in front of stages on, and I'm actually talking to people in front of stages, I have uh, a LinkedIn profile and channel that I I keep updated with. I mean, I know you've seen some of the stuff I put out there, Ellis. And I also have a Facebook page, a Facebook group, I mean, an Instagram and email list. And I do weekly webinars. And so there's not really just one thing that I do, but there is a multimodal approach to things that I put together. And, you know, we're now to the point where. I can't keep up with it because I've been the one doing most of the keeping up with it and stuff. And so we've actually hired a full-time marketing director to help us with this. And that kind of goes back to that same scenario of, I got too many, too many investors coming in now that I can't handle them all. So what do you do? You recruit somebody, right? Just like in that example earlier, he recruited his wife to help him catch the fish. I'm recruiting other people that can help us to be able to, you know, uh, help us get more fish, if you will. um, But also to be able to make sure that the fish that we do catch and the investors that we do come into our fold are being handled like and they feel like they are a person. I think that's one thing that's very, very important and one thing that's very, very key is, is that with our group our investors are not just a number. They're actually a person and they're a relationship that we want to have with those investors. And every single one of my investors has direct access to me. They get my personal cell phone number, they get my address, they Mm. get my email. I mean, They get everything right and all three of our partners so that they have direct access to it to us because I want them to feel like they can trust us with their money because it is a big responsibility for them to just wire us, you know, $100,000 to invest in one of our projects in order to build that trust with somebody. You have to be able to have those, all those different pieces in place, so they can you can start to get somebody to actually know, like, and trust you, because no one's going to invest with you unless they do know, like, and trust you. Right,
1: Dan. Where can our listeners uh, learn more about you or get in touch with you?
0: They can certainly reach out to me via email if they have questions directly for me. It's just Dan at passiveinvesting.com. Um, they can also just go to our website passiveinvesting.com. Um, if you're interested in following us on our multifamily uh, educational stuff, you know obviously you can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com. And uh, thank you so much, Ellis, for having me on and uh, for creating this platform. You're doing a lot of good things and looking forward to continuing to follow you and kind of seeing you know how you continue to grow your platform as well.
1: Dan, I just I just want to thank you, brother. I think what you're doing is amazing. There's been so many incredible nuggets here. I mean, hearing about you growing your, you know, your real estate portfolio over 220 million dollars in the last two years, really, you know, learning how to not just trade time for dollars anymore, but really scaling, uh, focusing on your niche. Uh, just the idea of uh, even the mindset piece was so huge that if you keep thinking you know the same thoughts of what got you here today that's actually going to limit you from really going to the next level in the future and so uh, just thanks I'm so thankful for your work I'm thankful for how God is using there in Columbia and just want to remind you man is that your business of helping people invest really does model you know the heart of our father of really helping people think about building a legacy. And taking care of not just you know because investing in real estate is not a quick buck; it's a legacy type thing, and you're helping people really prepare for the next generation. And so, um, I know we serve a God who thinks not just for us, but for our our you know the generations after us. And so, thanks for just the way your work is modeling that, man. So, so so grateful for you. Thankful to have you on. and everyone, if you enjoyed this, please, 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 please take a, a moment now to just leave a five-star review, uh, you know, a rating and a review, and tell us what you enjoy. That really goes a long ways. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. Thanks again for your time. Appreciate it, Dan. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind. And even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.